Welcome to the Am I Called podcast. Am I Called is a ministry that exists to help men find their call and to help pastors find called men. For more information and resources, visit amicalled.com. Now, here's your host, Dave Harvey. Hi, folks. I'm sitting here today in chilly Tallahassee, Florida, where the high on this brutal winter day is 52 degrees. And joining me is pastor, songwriter, and painter, and one of the nicest men you will ever meet, Mark Altrogi. Now, my enthusiasm for, for this interview comes not, not simply because Mark is an accomplished songwriter or a pastor with three decades of experience, but because Mark was one of my first pastors, which means he's directly responsible for many of my dysfunctions, though inevitably he's going to deny oh, yeah. that. Blame me. So Mark has been pastoring at Saving Grace Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania, hometown of Jimmy Stewart, by the way, for over three decades. His wife, Christy, is a delightful woman with an infectious laugh. They have five children and a growing number of grandkids as well. Mark, it's just great to have you here. Hey, thanks, Dave. Great now, to be here. Now, Mark, you've been pastoring in the same church for over three decades. So why don't we start by just having you tell the guys that are listening about about why staying planted in the same place, in the same local church, why that can be such a blessing to a pastor. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I regularly tell people that staying somewhere a long time like I have uh, can be actual proof that there's a living God <laughs> because I tell people the fact that our church still exists after 30 years with me as senior pastor is proof that there's a living God. Now, is that because so. you never imagined <laughs> that you would stay in one place? It's No, it's because I have just never felt like I really knew what I was doing. Oh. And uh, I, especially in the, the early years, I did so many dumb things, stupid things that it's amazing our church still exists. Yeah, I think a lot of pastors and, uh, can relate to that. But uh, I, for some reason, and, and I think someone in, encouraged me along these lines early on, but I have always thought of uh, my pastorate as a lifetime calling. And the way I've always thought about it is unless God makes it absolutely clear that I'm to go somewhere else, I'm just going to stay in this church and serve it for life. So um, that's how I've, I've thought about it. And it's a blessing, I think, a couple reasons. One, you get to see, as a pastor, you get to see the Lord work in people's lives over many years and uh, get to see Him live out their faith through good times and bad. And I've got friends in the church that I've known for 20, 25, and some even 35 years. Mm. Uh, one of my best friends that I, uh, he and I lived in a farmhouse together in my early Christian days before either of us were married. He's in our church. And uh, I've gotten to see the Lord sustain people, provide for them. Uh, I've gotten to see people go through tragedies and find God's strength and can continue to serve faithfully for mm. years and uh, if I had been changing churches every few years I, I wouldn't have gotten to see that long-term 
thing in their lives, uh, God's faithfulness. And then, yeah, I was thinking about this yesterday um, because I I pastored in the same church for 27 years, and and how that that local church experience of, of remaining in the same place for a longer period of time, how you'll have those friendships over many years, but you also end up pastoring uh, a number of different churches along the way mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. because God uh, brings new people in. He takes other people out. People will leave. They'll depart. They'll be sent out on mission. Yeah. Um, they'll have a job relocation. And so you know, the composition of the church looks dramatically different sometimes 10 years later. And Oh, and you yeah. end up impacting a, a whole new group of people. So, you know, so like while I think that that there is a, a vision of growing old with the same group of people, and I think that does happen, and it, it, it happened for me too, um, I, I think there are, there's also a sense, though, where you can expect a lot of change, isn't it? I mean, you've probably oh, yeah. seen that over oh, the yeah. years. Our church is probably completely different. It is completely different than when we started. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Well, it's just you know, you want to, you, you just want to um, set expectations for pastors in a way that you're, that we're we're casting vision that they're going to experience relationships like you have, you know, for for 25 years, and I think I think we can hold out that expectation, but also that there's going to be a lot of changes over time, and that the vision of uh, of growing old with the same group, of, the same large group of people. You know, that might be more of an illusion for guys because of how how dynamic pastoring can be, particularly in 2015. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I I never had a vision of growing old with the same people. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I just said, I'm here. I, but that one of the things that it has been a blessing to me is seeing God work in their lives. But also, yeah, you're right. The church does change. And I think that as the church changes, one of the advantages of having a guy there for a long time is that it brings us stability and it brings yeah. to the church as it changes. And as new people come in, I think they see, okay, here's a guy, he's been here a long time. So that uh, also helps that kind of stability as well. And, and uh, Now, you didn't even want to be a pastor, right? You wanted to be, you wanted to be a rock star. You know, how in the world did the... Did the pastor thing come about? Well, uh, in, I was in, in rock bands in high school and college. Um, I wanted to be like the Beatles. I wanted to be chased by girls down the street. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I always, I loved music from the time I was a kid. I loved art. I was an art ed major in college. Jesus saved me about a year after college. I was working odd jobs. I was avoiding real life responsibilities. I didn't want to teach. I was still living at home with my folks. Uh, and one day my mom asked me what I was going to do with my life. And my mom was a straight shooter. And, and I told her, uh, I said, well, I want to be a Christian musician and you know, play at festivals and, and that kind of thing. And my mom gave me one of the best pieces of advice that she ever gave me. She said, Mark, that's a pipe dream. <laughs> she said, you need to get a job. You need to get... You, Thank God you for have, mothers. Yeah, so. you got an art education degree. You need to go out and get a teaching job and work and be responsible. And then if you want to be a musician, you know, do that on, in the summers. 
and uh, I, I, for some reason, I listened to her, and uh, did that, and uh, so then uh, because I was a, a musician, when our church evolved out of a Bible study and eventually formulated into a church, I was the default worship leader because I was the only guy essentially who played. Uh, so I was leading worship in this new church, and uh, the pastor eventually got me involved more and more with leading stuff and involving me with counseling and stuff like that. One day he told me that he thought I had a call on my life. Hmm. I'd never even thought about it. I'd never even thought about being a pastor. I thought there were plenty of other guys much more qualified than me in the church. But for some reason, he thought I could do it. And I had just gotten married a few months earlier. I had the first stable job of my life, teaching art. And um, So you were serving, you're serving in the local church. Yeah. You're leading worship. Yeah. You're, just, you're living life, and the pastor comes and says, I think there might be a call in your life. Well, what was yeah. it that he was he was seeing that uh, that made him think that? What did he say? Uh, I don't even remember. Uh, maybe it was because I had some kind of public, public gift, ability yeah. to lead worship, and mm -hmm. he had let me teach a few times on a Sunday morning, and I guess he thought I could do it. Yeah. And uh, he involved me with counseling, and I guess he saw how I related to people. Yeah, there was fruit. Something there he yeah. saw. So I, uh, even though I had the first stable job in my life, I quit it <laughs> over the summer. Yeah, what'd your mother uh, have to say about that? My mother was not happy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when I told uh, my wife's dad about quitting jo a job to become a pastor, he said, oh, you'll make even less money at that than being a school teacher. <laughs> and he was right. And he was right. And uh, so I came on the job in a training capacity in September of 1980. Pastor in training. Pastor in training. Nine months later, <laughs> after just, you know, the pastor would give me books to read and involve yeah. me with counseling and stuff like that. Nine months later, uh, they ordained me, September of uh, 81, or June of 81. And then in uh, the summer of 82, the senior pastor at the time informed me that he was going to be relocating to work more closely with some other men. In Kim, his, uh, Kim was at your ordination, by the way. I think oh, I, was, right? I was working that night. <laughs> but uh, Kim was there, and I, re I have this memory of her coming home and talking about how cool it was. And so, I mean, that's back in 1981 wow. that I have that memory. Yeah, 81. Yeah, so it was summer, June of 81. Yeah, on the way home, I had the car window down, and a wasp stung me in the face, and I should have realized mm. that was an omen. Mm, maybe you weren't ordained. <laughs> so, anyway, anyway, one year later, summer of 82, the pastor at the time, senior pastor, informed me that I was going to be the next senior pastor, mm. that he was going to relocate to work with some other men we knew. Now, we would never do that nowadays. But, you know, so... He just told me I had a call on my life, and then later he told me I was going to be a senior pastor. I had no choice about it. Wow. <laughs> so I just thought, okay. I didn't know what I was doing, but I attempted it. You got launched. Now, Mark, not, not many people know that you're a painter as well as a pastor. In fact, your art is displayed each week in a studio in Pittsburgh, right? Mm -hmm. So so, how did you start to paint? Like, where did painting come into that that narrative you were just giving? Well, over the years, uh, I I was a, a 
art major. I also, before I became a pastor and before I started teaching, I got my master's in painting. Uh, but I didn't, uh, I painted some over the years as a pastor, off and on. Uh, but, but in the last, I'd say, seven years, eight years, my dad, who was in his 90s, he painted, and he painted hand-painted birthday cards for mm. 30 people a month, everybody in the church. Uh, for years, I received oh, yeah. a birthday card from him. Yeah, I estimated once that in, in 15 years, he did about 6,000 cards. They were unbelievable, too. I mean, the detail, the quality. Yeah, yeah he would paint these cards knock them out, you know, 30 a month. And uh, so uh, one night, uh, and we would have them over. We'd have them over for dinner every Monday night. And then we would watch Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy. And one night, about seven, eight years ago, I said, Dad, why don't we, instead of watching Wheel of Fortune after dinner, why don't we have you over for dinner and go over to your house and we can paint together? I just thought it'd be kind of a great way to have a relationship with my dad huh. and so I started painting again and uh, that's how I got back into it wow painting on Monday nights with dad Mark do you think it's it's harder for people who are artistically gifted to be content just remaining in one local church I never thought about that um, it hasn't been for me. Uh, I don't know. I guess it would depend on what they're pursuing and where they need to go to pursue that. Um, yeah, I think I haven't it, experienced that. Have you? Well, I, I don't know. I, I think that the creative mind, there's something about the creative mind that is, you know, in its pursuit to create can be restless. Hmm. And uh, and so sometimes, and I, I don't think it's, it's uh, unique to creative people. I think everybody, you know, can struggle with challenges of remaining in, in the local church and being committed to one thing over time. But I, I do think that there's something about the creative mind, the artistic mind, that makes the pursuit of art, the pursuit of creating songs or music or art, uh, a primary goal and follows that um, and that at times moves them from church to church or mm -hmm. takes them out of the church in pursuit of something else. Yeah, I would say if someone came to me and asked me about that, I would say even if you relocate to another place, your first, one of your first priorities would be to be involved in a local church. Yes. You know, don't ever let your art or whatever take you out of the church. Mm. I can remember years ago, uh, my wife entered a contest and won a cruise, a Christian uh, cruise that had a number of bands on the cruise. And we went on a side trip and we were in a, a car with about, or a bus with about 10 other musicians. And my wife was talking to one and she said, so where do, you, where do you go to church and how does that work out with touring and so forth? And this uh, woman said, well, our band is our church. Hmm. And I remember at the time thinking, ah, just, that's not a good idea. Hmm. You know, who's your pastor? How do, you, how do you reconcile that with all of the verses that say, you know, those over you and who give you instruction? And how do you work out the one another's just, just with a band? Yeah. You know, so I would say 
that would probably be a huge challenge for musicians if they had to travel. Yeah, and they would need a church all the more, wouldn't they? Because oh, yeah. of the demands, the temptation, the fatigue. I mean, oh, your, yeah. your heart just longs to see folks like that cared for by pastors. Yeah, so I, I don't know that that's so much of a temptation for painters or the, those kind of artists because they don't necessarily need to travel like a musician might. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of musicians, Mark, you, you do a lot of songwriting. Um, you've written some well-known worship songs. Why don't you talk about why, you know, why do you write worship songs? Um, you know, how, how has God used that as, as a part of what he's called you to do? Well, I loved writing songs from the time I started getting into music. And my brother was an incredible lead guitarist. He wanted to be like Jimi Hendrix. I wasn't as good at lead but my interest, I thought, I loved the Beatles, and the reason I loved them was because of John Lennon and Paul McCartney's songwriting. Hmm. So I can remember from 10th grade, 11th grade, I had this interest in songwriting, which I would say God gave me. But I can remember one time I listened to a whole bunch of Beatles songs and wrote down what they did, what the order was, where the song went up high and low, and just to, to analyze their songs. So. I was interested in songwriting, and then as a, as a believer, I, I, I remember one day I didn't hear an audible voice, but I had the thought come into my mind, do you want to serve me? And of course I wanted to, and then uh, I felt like God said to me, well, write, write a worship song. And I thought, easy, nothing to it, because the songs that a lot of the songs in my early Christian days were very simplistic, like this is the day this is the day which you repeated one phrase uh -huh, uh -huh. over and over again 50 times, which I loved those songs. Yeah. But I thought, oh, man, I can do this. Um, but then I had this desire to write songs that were more creative musically, that would stretch people. And uh, someone did uh, teach me early on, I think, the importance of sound doctrine in worship. And so somehow I got this, this uh, desire to serve the church by writing songs that had good sound doctrine but yet were more creative had cr a creative edge to them and even maybe a little bit challenging not too challenging and that's one of the the really challenging things i found about writing worship songs is is they have to be singable mm -hmm. quickly learnable and yet, if you can have some good truth in there about mm -hmm. Jesus, doctrinal, and doctrinal truth, and and uh, yet uh, not overly creative, and so there's certain boundaries, and 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 so it's actually more challenging than writing a regular song. Now, let me ask you a question, Mark, because you're you're a painter, you know, you you write, you blog, um, you you write worship songs, you're obviously very creative. What, what do you do um, to, to cultivate the creative side of your life? Or is that all just natural instinct? You, you just sit down and it spills out? Or are there things that you specifically do to feed that? Well, 
I would say one of the biggest uh, misconceptions is that that song ideas just come to somebody in the shower and you got this whole great song and you know that that may have happened to me one time where I got a really great idea that turned into a yeah. good song. It is just essentially discipline, hard work, just doing it again and again and again. It, it doesn't matter what it is, even with painting. Before I, when I'm starting a painting, I lots of times I'm thinking, what if this doesn't work? What if this is a failure? I, I have the same thoughts when I'm sitting down to write a song. Very often I have n nothing clearly in mind and so I just say, okay, I just got to start writing ideas yeah. down. Yeah. You know, I it's just have to Edison, start working on it. What is that, Thomas Edison? Genius is 1% is inspiration and 99% perspiration. Yeah. Just, it's hard work. Yeah. Yeah, I just think I got to get paint on the, on the board or the canvas. I've got to get words on a paper. I've just got to start, and I've just got to start doing it. And then as, as you, you work on it, it will develop. Do you find that, that connecting with creative people, um, either through reading, you know, reading what they've written, or mm -hmm. or sitting with them and just talking, is there a, a, a kind of synergistic side to creativity for you where, where reading those things or being around people like that stokes it in you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would say, uh, and this ties in with what you asked me a minute ago, um, if you're gonna, if you wanna write songs, you gotta listen to a lot of music. Mm -hmm. I listen to all kind of music from, you know, uh, stuff I like growing up, obviously, to jazz, to Broadway stuff. To I just listen, expose myself to a lot of music, and uh, and I think the same is with writing. You need to just read a lot, and uh, with art, you gotta look at a lot of stuff. And yeah. Yeah, let, let me ask you a question because you preach as well. D does a guy need to be creative to preach well? Uh, I think there's all kinds of different levels. For me, um, one of the things I think when I'm preaching is I never, I, I, I never want to be boring, and I always want to, if I can, keep people's attention. And I, if there are teenagers there or even, you know, 12-year-olds, 10-year-olds, I want to I wanna do whatever I can to grab their attention, mm -hmm. keep their attention. So I think there is a certain creative element to preaching, you know, coming up with illustrations, um, creative ways of saying things. Um, yeah. So I think there's a lot of creativity goes into preaching myself. Yeah, and I mean, Jesus is using parables. Oh, yeah. Um, helping people make associations, you know, Spurgeon with his metaphors. Oh, yeah. You know, every time a preacher is saying, um, this doctrine is like this, or something is like that. They're immediately accessing a creative dimension to their gift and, and having to apply it in in, in preaching. Yeah. So I think it does take it takes a lot of imagination. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. even even uh, identifying the context of a passage and making it come alive. I mean, part of that is transporting people there through oh, yeah. through imagination. Yeah, you know, painting word pictures. I mean, that's what Jesus did. You know, the parables he told, you know, the sower and the seed. I mean, you could see this guy spreading the seed out and the birds coming down. And, you know, so, yeah, I think it's creativity is really important in preaching. Now, Mark, you wrote a song, uh, I Stand in Awe. Um, how long ago was that? 
1986, I think. 1986. <laughs> now that that song is so. I have written some others since. I know, then. <laughs> but that that's one of my favorite. It's it's theologically rich. It's poetically potent. Um, you are beautiful beyond description, too marvelous for words, too wonderful for comprehension, like nothing ever seen or or heard. Um, to take us back to when you were actually writing that, what, what was going on? I uh, had been reading a couple of books that really influenced me. One of them was um, R.C. Sproul's The Holiness of God. Mm, and classic. I also had been reading Charnock, The Attributes of God. Uh-huh. And as I was meditating on God's attributes, especially the, the infinite aspect of his attributes, you know, infinite beauty, infinite glory, you know, all of those things were affecting me. Hmm. And... Uh, kind of early on, and I don't know how I exactly picked this up, but I, I sort of think in terms of the verse, most of the time, verse of my songs being some meditation about God, hmm. and then the chorus is a response. So I was thinking, okay, the verses are, are meditation on the infinite aspects of God's attributes, and, and then what would be my response? And it was... I just stand in awe. I stand in awe mm. of, these, of this glorious God. And uh, then a few years later, uh, I was contacted by a man who was making a choral arrangement of the song for an Easter uh, presentation. He asked me if I could come up with a second verse related to Christ's death or something like that. And that's where verse 2 came in. So it was re- actually written a few years later. Wow. So other ones you've written, um, Forever Grateful, I'm Forever Grateful would certainly be one that's enjoyed wide circulation. What about, what about that song? What do you remember about that? When, when God was first um, drawing me to himself, I was sitting in the student union at uh, the university I went to, IUP, yeah. Indiana University of Pennsylvania, sitting there, and a guy walked up to me and another friend of mine and just laid a little booklet on the table about Jesus. And this guy, I remember looking up at him, he's a hippie-like guy, and then he smiled, and then he walked away, and I th- probably read the booklet. But a, a few months later, when someone invited me to this little country retreat center to and I I went um, and and this was I believe when I probably got the night I I called upon Jesus to save me here was this guy who had um, given me the booklet he and his wife were leading worship they were playing some songs actually for us to listen to and leading worship and one of the songs they played he gave an introduction he said when man sinned Jesus said to the Father, I will seek that which was lost. And they had a song that they played, a performing type song, where Jesus was saying, I will seek that which was lost. And that phrase just stuck with me. And then later on, when I was trying to write this song, I, I, I heard another song 
called I'm Eternally Grateful, or no, Eternally Thankful, or something like that. And I sort of, there's, there's a book out called Steal Like an Artist. So I thought, well, I'm eternally grateful. What else could I, how else could I say it? I'm forever grateful. Uh. The phrase came to my mind, I'm forever grateful. And kind of a typical thing that a lot of songwriters do is you put your main title, its title as the first or the last line of your chorus, first or, or sometimes both. So there I had, I'm forever grateful was my title first line of the course and then I remember this guy talking about Jesus saying I will seek that which was lost and I had been being taught recently that all you know the initiative in our salvation was the Lord he so loved the world that he sent his only son Mm. you know Jesus said I came to seek and save that which was lost and so all that song I said I want to write a song about God's initiative in saving me because I wasn't looking for him I was Wow. And so that's how that kind of got going. Wow. That's really inspiring to think of how your meditation on God, your experience with God was translated into songs that other people are worshiping to right mm-hmm. now. Mark, let's just imagine for a second that, that you have somebody listening, there's a guy listening um, mm-hmm. who wants to write worship songs, who wants mm-hmm. to do what you're doing. You know, what, what advice would you give a guy or a lady who wants to write but just just you know doesn't even know where to start? I would say uh, a good kind of way to start is like I said earlier, and this this is not original with me. I, I believe actually Bob Coughlin's definition of worship is that worship is a response to God's self-revelation in ways that God um, lays out in the Bible for us. So I said. I tend to think of meditation and response. So I tend to think, and this is not hard and fast, but this is for someone getting started if you want to do this, is think of the verse as some meditation on God. What is it about God you want to dwell on? God's faithfulness, God's mercy, God's holiness, God's beauty, God's glory, and begin to, you know, that's make your verses something about God and if you want you know do a Bible search and whatever get all the Bible verses you can about God's glory that's the song you're gonna write and then what is my response to this there's all kinds of biblical responses you know that the Bible has is like I will trust you if it's on God's faithfulness or I will follow you or I praise you Mm -hmm. I exalt you I love you Lord so I think of meditation response then I think the next thing is, if you can, get a good title. You know, the, if you get a good title, very often that'll write the song for you. Mm-hmm. And so, for example... Um, Do your titles typically come first? Uh, sometimes. Not always. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'll just write out as much, many related ideas as possible. So I'm not necessarily trying to write out, you know, in poetic form necessarily in the beginning. If I'm writing about God's glory or whatever, I might just write as many ideas as I can about God's glory. But my friend Steve Cook, one day I saw him writing a page of titles. And so I have done that at times as well. For example, there was a song, we were trying to write songs based on the Psalms, and I wanted to write a song based, a song based on Great is the Lord, one of the Psalms. I forget which one it is now. So I wrote first, I, I'm going to write titles. I wrote Great is the Lord. Well, that one's been done. Then How Great You Are, 
that's been done. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I just started writing title after title about God's greatness. And then um, I came, after about 12, I wrote Greater Than We Can Imagine. And when I, when I wrote that, I thought, now that's a creative sounding title, more creative than You're So Great, O oh God. So I just had a title then, and uh, so I would say, if I, and, and that kind of wrote the chorus for me then. And then using the psalm, I think it was 96 maybe, but using that psalm for the verses and then the chorus mm. for you are greater than we can imagine. So I would say meditation response titles, write as many related ideas as possible. And then finally I would say um, to someone just getting started, just write for your own church. Don't, don't think about, I'm, I need to make it big time. Yeah. You know, write to serve your church. Yeah. And uh, when I first was writing songs, I knew about four other worship leaders, four or five other pastors and worship leaders in other churches that we were kind of building a, a relationship with. And so when I'd write a song, I would, I'd, I'd send them uh, three songs along with the chord lyric sheets, and I'd say, feel free to use them if you want, if you think they'd serve your church. I wasn't thinking I'd ever get published or anything like that. So I'd just say, write songs for your own church. If you know other guys, send them out to them. See if they'll serve their churches. Yeah. God can do that's, the rest. That's great counsel, Mark. That's great Thanks. counsel. Well, we need to wrap up today's broadcast or podcast or whatever it is, but I'm, I'm really grateful you joined us, Mark, and, and I'm even more grateful for Thanks, your Steve. friendship and for your care for me when I was a brand-new believer. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Dave. My pleasure. This has been the Am I Called podcast, and I'm your host, Dave Harvey. And just remember, for more free articles, videos, audios, just stuff on calling, free stuff on calling, on leadership, on pastoral ministry, visit amicalled.com. Thanks so much for joining us.